turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6, or turn on your Bible, as the case may be for some of you. We're going to be in Romans chapter 6. You know, Paul, in his last letter, the last letter that we have recorded, 2 Timothy, he told his young protege, Timothy, Paul writing in his old age, he said to Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And since January, we've been exploring the various means of grace, the various ways that God has given us to be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. His word, worship, prayer, fellowship, and service. And now this week and next, we're going to take that one about worship, and we're going to drill down into two sacraments that are a part of our worship uh, every week. Every week, we either share the Lord's Supper together, or if there's a baptism, we have a baptism. So every week, we are celebrating um, and participating in one of the sacraments. Uh, This morning, we're going to talk about baptism. And I want to remind you, baptism is a physical sign of a spiritual reality. It's a physical sign that points to several spiritual realities. Um, The washing away of sin by the sprinkling of Jesus' blood, the spiritual reality of being baptized by the Holy Spirit and being renewed by the Spirit in our lives, the entrance into an identification with the body of Christ, God's family. So it represents all those things, but this morning we're going to focus on One that is just absolutely, not that the others aren't, but this one is absolutely glorious. Baptism is a physical sign that points to the spiritual reality of our union with Christ. That's that's a mysterious phrase, and it's one that Paul addresses in Romans chapter 6. So if you would stand with me as we hear God's word from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 13. Paul writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin 
and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, whew, Father, the, there's a lot packed into these 13 verses, and you know as well, better than I do, that there is no way that we will mine the depths of these verses this morning in 30 minutes. There's, there's just no way, but help us to see something, one thing. Um, help us to see what Paul wants us to see when we see someone baptized. What does he want us to remember? What does he want us to know? What do you, Holy Spirit, who gave him these words to say, what, what do you want us to see when we see a baptism taking place? Would you teach us and show us and encourage us by these things and then help us to take what we get this morning and then go and meditate on it, chew on it, and try to figure out what, is it, what does it mean in my life today? Why, why is this important? Um, so, Lord, help us, help me. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I have three friends who are going to help me out this morning. So if Tim Carter would come, he's representing the old people this morning. If uh, Hannah Parker would come, she's representing the teenage crowd. And Eden Smith is representing the young crowd. Uh, they're going to come and, Tim, pick up that egg and show it to everybody. No, that egg, thanks. Look at that, nice white egg. Okay, so if you all will just take your egg and put it in the little dipper and dip it down into your dye. Eden's got purple, I think, and Hannah's got blue. Nice. Tim's got, it's either orange or yellow. Thank you so much. Now, stay tuned. We'll, we'll come back to this in a little while, but thank you so much. Have a seat. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. So, these eggs are being baptized. They're being baptized. Uh, you'll be shocked to know that the Greek word that we translate baptize is baptizo. They couldn't figure out a better way to say it, so they just transliterated it. Baptizo, though, for the Greeks from about 400 B.C. to 200 A.D., all of the Greek literature that's outside of the Bible that we read, they use this word baptizo uh, in a way that always pointed to a change that has taken place by some means. So in their minds, baptizo had something to do with change taking place. One of the ways that they used the word baptized, was in the dyeing of cloth. So let's say you, you are the, uh, the person in your community who is in charge of making 
purple robes for the, the royal family or for the aristocrats in the community. And so you, you go, you get your cotton, you weave it into some textiles, some fabric, you sew that into a nice robe. In order for that robe to become a purple robe, you would baptize it in purple dye. And after it's been baptized, obviously, it's changed. The robe is no longer what it once was. It's now purple. And from now on, that robe will be identified by what it was baptized into. And that's what the word baptism means, and that's what's happening to our eggs right now. They're, they are once plain old white eggs, but by the end of the sermon, they'll see, we'll see that They've been transformed. They've been changed by their baptism. And in Romans 6, Paul wants us to know that when a person is baptized into Christ Jesus, they are fundamentally changed. All who are baptized into Christ Jesus are now identified by and with Christ Jesus. They're no longer who who they once were. That old self is dead. Now they are marked by something new. And so Paul is gathering all that he's been teaching in Romans 1 through 5 thus far, and he's painting a word picture for it all. All of those who have been saved by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone, have been baptized into Christ so that now they have a completely new identity. That's what Paul is so excited to explain to us this morning. And he wants us to know what that new identity is and what it means for us. And we're not going to be able to get into all that it means for us. My, my goal for us this morning is just to know something about what it means. So if you just walk out of here knowing something or being reminded of something about what baptism in Christ Jesus means, we're good. <laughs> and I want to be clear, Paul is not saying that the physical act of baptism changes us. Remember, physical baptism represents something spiritual that's taking place. The spiritual baptism is what Paul is picturing here. So so that from now on, whenever we watch a boy or a girl or a man or a woman get baptized, come under the waters of baptism. Yes, some people go under all the way like these eggs are, but all of us come under the water of baptism when we're baptized, whenever we watch that happen to somebody, Paul wants us to think about what he said in Romans 6. And he wants us to remember that physical picture so that we will know again and be reminded of the spiritual reality that is ours, who have been spiritually baptized into Christ Jesus. So why is it so important to know this, Paul? What's the big deal about understanding our baptism in Christ Jesus? Well, he was, he was teaching about our baptism in Christ in order to correct a misunderstanding of what it means to live as a follower of Christ. Look at verses 1 and 2. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That was a question that he was getting from folks. He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You see, at the end of Romans 5, Paul had said, where sin abounds, grace superabounds. 
So it's like that old hymn that I used to love that we used to sing in church. It says that God's grace is greater than our sin. But apparently some folks were saying to Paul, wait a minute, we sin but God's grace is greater? Sin abounds, grace superabounds? Well, hey, that sounds like a good deal to me. I like to sin. God likes to give grace for sin. We're in business. I'll just keep on sinning, and God, you just keep on gracing. And Paul is trying to say, no, no, no. You don't understand what I've been trying to tell you. Your new relationship with Jesus has completely canceled and changed your old relationship with sin. You're dead to sin. You don't live in it anymore. Now, he's not saying that sin is no longer present in your life, nor is he saying that you're now sinless, nor is he saying that you'll never sin again. He's simply saying that your relationship to sin has changed. You're dead to it. Sin does not define you or set the direction for your life anymore. Jesus defines you. Jesus sets the direction for your life. And then he uses baptism to illustrate this change because he knows that they know baptism means a new identity. And Paul speaks as as if he expected them to know this already. He says in verse 3, do you not know? Do you not know? Don't you remember that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Maybe, Maybe they'd forgotten regardless of whether they knew it or not. He's making a statement here. There is something you and I must know about who we are in Christ Jesus. We have to know this. He uses the word know three times in these verses. We have to know something about our identity, about the core of who we are in Christ. Is it more than about knowing? Yes, but it's not less than about knowing. Paul will say a whole lot more beyond knowing in the rest of chapter 6 and the rest of Romans. But it begins with knowing. Some of you are here this morning, and you've never heard what Paul is about to explain. This will be the first time you've ever read read these verses, maybe, or, or thought about the implications of what he's saying. It's going to be new knowledge to you, and I'm so excited that you get to hear it. I'm so glad that you're here to hear this. Some of us have heard it before. Some of us have studied it. Some of you know this doctrine of union with Christ better than I do. But we've forgotten it. Or maybe we haven't thought about it in a while. Or or maybe we're struggling with whether we even believe it. And after I explain some of it, you're going to say, that's unbelievable. But Paul says to us, don't you know this? Don't you remember? This is so good. And so I'm glad that you're here this morning, too. I'm with you. I chose to preach this passage because I wanted to remember this truth. So Paul is about to throw a big rock into the pond of our reality, and it's going to have some ripple effects. The rock is going to be in verses 3 to 5. The ripple effects are going to be in verses 6 to 10. We'll touch on 11. We're not even getting to 12 and 13, so don't worry. Listen to how he describes it. Here's the big rock. Do you not know all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him.
by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, notice all these intos and withs, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We have been united with Christ. That's the big rock that Paul has thrown into the pond of our reality this morning. Theologians call this union with Christ. It's the Apostle Paul's favorite description of Christians. We are in Christ, with Christ. Listen, there's, here's just a few samples of, from all of Paul's letters. Hundreds of times he talks about this. He says, believers are created in Christ crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, baptized into Christ in his death. That's our text this morning. United with him in his resurrection. That's Romans 6. Seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We are justified in Christ, glorified in Christ, sanctified in Christ, called in Christ, made together, made alive together with Christ. We are new creations in Christ. We're adopted in Christ. We're elected in Christ. On and on he goes about this union with Christ. One theologian explained it this way. I love this. He says, our union with the living Christ is the essential truth of our new and eternal existence. The central truth in a way that gloriously transcends our our finite understanding. We are really and truly joined spiritually and bodily to the crucified, resurrected, incarnate, person of Christ. There is no better news than this, he says. And because of this, says another writer, your relationship to Christ is closer, more central, more defining, and more important than any other relationship you could ever have. Closer than your relationship with your parents, closer than your relationship with your spouse, your children, or even your own body. Closer than any other union you can possibly imagine. Now, why am I piling on all of this stuff about union with Christ? Because I'm I'm trying, if I can, to say it just a little bit as emphatically as Paul does, and I'll never be able to do it because it took him most of the New Testament to try to explain this. But this is what our baptism reminds us is true of our identity. We are united to Jesus. We are in him. Paul goes on to say that that change in our identity from in Adam to in Christ sends at least two powerful ripple effects deep and wide into our lives. He says in verse 5, for if we have been united with him in his death, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Sinclair Ferguson put it this way. If we are united to Christ, then we are united to him at all points of his activity on our behalf. And Paul mentions two of those points, his death and his resurrection. Because we are united with Christ, we share in his death. Because we are united with Christ, we share in his resurrection. And then in the next verses, he begins to explain what he means a little bit about these things. In verses 6 and 7, 
He explains how we share in Christ's death. Listen to what he says. And again, I'm just scratching the surface with these. I, I, I wish we had time to get into depth here. But he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So I want to explain two phrases here. What is old self and what is body of sin? Our old self was crucified with Jesus, Paul says. That means that the old me, who I was before I was in Christ, the, the in Adam, Jimmy, who I, who I was before Jesus, that me has been nailed to the cross with Jesus. Thank God that I am not now who I was. That's what he means by old self. What does he mean by body of sin? He says, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. That doesn't mean that the body, our bodies are going to be destroyed. Brought to nothing means uh, rendered ineffective. Rendered ineffective. Um, one commentator explained that union with Christ does not destroy the body, but it does end the body's role as the inescapable tool of sin by this destroying the rule of sin in our body. I'll say that again. It ends the body's role as the inescapable tool of sin by destroying the rule of sin in our body. As Paul will go on to say, uh, we are no longer enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. So thank God that the rule of sin in my body has been broken in Jesus. That doesn't mean that there's not still presence of sin and some power of sin, but the rule of sin has been broken. That government has been toppled. There may be some guerrilla warfare going on, but the rule of sin has been broken. So what does this mean? It means that in a couple of weeks when we celebrate Holy Week, When we celebrate the crucifixion of Jesus on Good Friday, we will be celebrating our crucifixion too. When we remember the burial of Jesus on Holy Saturday, we'll also be remembering our burial. And then since every Sunday is now Resurrection Sunday, did you realize that? We celebrate Easter Sunday every year, but actually every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. When we gather to worship and remember and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, we should also be remembering and celebrating our resurrected life in Christ. Which, by the way, is for real now, but will be full and final on the day when Jesus returns. And Paul goes on to explain this in verses 8 to 10. He, He explains how we share in Christ's resurrection Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, ours, not his, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And now, we know that Paul is not only talking about our future resurrection here. Because he said earlier in verse 4, 
Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's right now newness of life. And then in verse 11, he says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Alive right now. Consider yourselves. And that word consider is an accounting term. It, it basically means count on it. Consider it. Count on this. You are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Look, this alive to God in Christ Jesus and dead to sin is not a stimulus check that's still in pending status. It has cleared the bank. It is yours to withdraw. Now, your resurrection body is still in pending status, and that'll clear the bank when Jesus comes back. But the resurrection power and life of Jesus has cleared the bank, folks, and it's ours to withdraw. We are dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus, and we can count on it. I tried to think of a way to kind of illustrate this, and this is, this is my story. <laughs> when I was in middle school, there was a high school kid, and I was in a small Christian school where the high school and the middle school shared the same space. When I was in middle school, there was a high school kid who bullied me. He was bigger than me. He was older than me. He was more popular than me. I'll add he was uglier than me. But anyway, this is a big, mean, strong, popular, ugly dude who bullied me. And so, since it was a small school, whenever I was in his presence, I was afraid. I mean, he had kind of a control over me that I couldn't shake. But my older brother, Jeff, also went to our school. And he was bigger, stronger, older, and more popular than the bully. I won't talk about whether he's ugly or not, but he was bigger and stronger, older, and more popular than the bully was. And when I finally told my brother Jeff, my big brother, about that bully, oh, he was furious. In a previous school, my brother had been threatening someone in a public school, and he told that guy, he said, hey, meet me outside after school, we'll, take, we'll talk about this. And then as the story goes, he took that guy in the woods and beat the tar out of him. I'm not commending this. Don't do this at home. But that's just, that's my brother. And I'm not sure exactly what he said to this bully of mine, but my big brother let him know that if he ever bullied me again, my brother would beat the living you-know-what out of him. Don't you just love protective big brothers? And it's funny. My brother only had to have that conversation with the bully one time. Once and for all. It was done. The bully's defeat was full. And it was for real. Now, how do you think I acted after the bully had that conversation with my brother. I was fearlessly free. <laughs> I was dead to his power over me. I was alive to a new life of freedom at that school that I'd never known before. 
Because, see, my big brother Jeff was free from the bully's power. And as Jeff's little brother, I could enjoy the fearless freedom from the bully that Jeff had. All that my brother had in relationship to that bully was mine because I was with him. I could count on it. The bully of sin and the death that it brings is no match for your big brother Jesus. He's shown it. It only took one interaction and it was done. Sin and death no longer have dominion over your big brother Jesus. And because you're with him, they no longer have dominion over you. So friends, whenever we see someone baptized, going under the water, Paul wants us to know that because we're identified with Jesus, we are even now dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, and we can count on it. We can count on it. There's so much more that this means, but if you could just hear that this morning and know that, that'd be a good start. So if I could ask my egg-dipping friends to come back and take their eggs out and show them to us. So Hannah, what color was the egg before you put it in? It was white. You all put a white egg in there, didn't you? So if you could try to get those out, and there's a paper towel there to, they'll be kind of wet, obviously, but. And then once you've sort of dried it off, I want you to turn and show it to everybody. Ooh, that's pretty. Nice. Nice, Tim. Good job, Tim. Um, these, they, they've changed. They're no longer white eggs. They're identified by the color they were baptized into. Now, what's even better about this, see, the dye could not change the inside of the egg. But when you're baptized into Jesus, your identity goes all the way to your core. Completely transforms who we are in Christ. Thank you all. And while they're taking their seats, you know how when we baptize our little ones here, um, I take the little one up the aisle and we all sing, Jesus loves me. Um, well, I want you to stand and sing this, this new verse of Jesus loves me that I have prepared for us. We'll sing this and then I'll pray. And Here we go. You have to sing. Don't make me do this song. <laughs> I'm in Jesus. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Dead to sin. Alive with Christ. Now I live a brand new life, baptized in Jesus, alive.
Fight our own our ongoing battle with our sin with this knowledge in mind. It no longer has dominion over us. Ooh, our big brother Jesus has taken care of its power and reign in our lives. And he can take care of us as we fight. So Father, come and remind us of what it means be baptized in Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.